Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched Hey, Harbor. Sorry I missed you on Sunday. I have not been feeling great, but I thought I would record the sermon so that you all could hear what I would have said. I'm so glad you all had a great conversation using the Discovery Bible Study Method on Sunday. That's such a helpful way of just talking about how do we apply the Bible to our lives. So I missed you, and I hope to see you this Sunday. But here's the sermon from this past week. I had a friend who used to joke about how when parents have their first child, they are so excited for them to hit all those important early milestones. Rolling over, sitting up, crawling, walking. Every first time parent tries hard to help their little baby hit these milestones on time or early if possible, so they can brag to their friends about how advanced their baby is. But my friend also talked about how the more children someone has, the less excited they get about these milestones, right? Because they know how much harder things get at each milestone. They're mobile. They can get into stuff. So parents of multiple kids start like knocking their kids down when they try and walk. Don't start walking yet. I like when I can put you somewhere and you stay there. Have you ever seen a toddler learning to walk? It is adorable. They start right by pulling themselves up on a couch or a table and getting comfortable standing. Then they might start moving along on the edge of the table, still holding on. And finally, they take those first few steps on their own. It's magical. They let go of the table. They take those first few toddling steps. And then they realize what's happening. The table, it's out of reach. They're on their own. And they freak out a little bit and fall down. It is delightful to watch these tiny humans learning to use their bodies. And it takes them time and practice to get comfortable walking on their own two feet without someone holding their hands or without a couch to keep their hand on. This week's sermon looks at a passage where Peter is basically like a toddler learning to walk. He has a burst of confidence. He sets out and then he looks around and freaks out. He's walking on water and it's windy. And he falls into the water. <laughs> Remember, Matthew writes his gospel for two reasons. The first is to convince his readers that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the second is to instruct his readers on how to be a disciple of Jesus. 
And in this story, we see both of those main goals addressed. As Matthew's writing to these first century Christians, he's been telling them all along about who Jesus is, about what Jesus did, what Jesus said. He's, he's included teaching and miracle narratives and the reactions of the people around Jesus. Well, with this story, Matthew seems to be highlighting a tension that followers of Jesus live with. It's a tension we'll see Peter grappling with in this passage. It's a tension the first century followers of Jesus struggled with. And it's a tension that you and I today, 2,000 years later, are still struggling with. This story highlights the tension between faith and doubt, belief and unbelief. This tension that every follower of Jesus since Peter has also had to struggle with. We all struggle with this, don't we? We're all like that little toddler taking her first steps. We, we have these moments where we clearly see how amazing God is, how much he loves us, how well he takes care of us, and then we're off. But then, like that toddler, we also have moments where doubt creeps in and we freak out and fall over. Did God really say that? Does he really care? This is really big. Can God really handle this? Doubt and faith, belief and unbelief. This is a constant tension for followers of Jesus living in a world where our ability to see God face to face has been damaged by sin. In this passage, Matthew highlights this tension through the story of Peter's experience walking on water. This passage also provides some wisdom about what to do when we find ourselves struggling between doubt and faith. That's where we're going today. We're going to look at this tension and then talk about what we can do when we find ourselves caught between faith and doubt. So this story takes place directly after the miraculous feeding of 5,000 on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the same day that Jesus had found out that his beloved cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod. Jesus was exhausted, and so were his disciples. So after this miracle, Jesus sent the disciples into the boat to get some rest, and he sent the crowds home. He himself went up into the hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee to be alone with God. In the midst of ministry and sorrow, Jesus knew his heart needed to be with his Father. And in the Bible, mountains are where people went to meet with God. After Jesus had had enough time being refreshed by prayer and talking to God, he decided to join the disciples in the boat. Now, in ancient times, the sea was seen as a source of chaos. It was wild and untamable. It was a symbol for evil or for darkness even. The disciples were presumably attempting to stay somewhat near the shore waiting for Jesus, but it seems that the wind was blowing them further out to sea. So in the middle of the night between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus decided to walk to them on the water. These disciples, several of whom were fishermen, had no doubt heard many stories of the ghosts of drowned sailors haunting the sea. So they were freaked out when they saw this. What is coming toward us that can stay on top of the water like that? Jesus knew they were afraid, and so he called out in verse 27, Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter immediately goes from fear to amazement. Jesus can walk in water. I wonder if I can too. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Let me walk on the water too. And Jesus responds, come on. I love Peter. That dude is all in. When he sees what Jesus can do, he wants in. He wants every ounce of what Jesus has to offer. 
That's what disciples are trained to do. See what their master does and then do it. Peter gets this. He wants to imitate Jesus. He sees that Jesus has power over the sea and he wants that power too. Of all the disciples, he is the only one who even thinks to do this. What a spectacular demonstration of his faith. Peter hops over the side of the boat and in what must have been one of the wild experiences of that fisherman's life, his feet, instead of sinking into the water, walk on top of it. Those first few steps, Peter is like the toddler taking a few steps, just enjoying this new thing. But then Peter realizes what's happening. The text says in Matthew 14, 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter looked around again and realized this is insane that he's walking on water. Water that is rough, waves that are roiling, wind that is blowing. He's a fisherman. He knows how bad this wind is. And wait a minute, he can't walk on water. What's happening here? He freaks out and starts to sink. Jesus, help! Even in this moment of panic, Peter knows who to go to for help. He knows that he can cry out for help and that Jesus will save him. Even in his doubt, Peter displays faith. Lord, help! And in verse 31, we read, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Theologians don't know what to make of this response that Jesus gives here. There are lots of good discussions about whether this is Jesus saying that Peter just straight up failed, or maybe he's saying it's a good try, but do better next time. Part of the problem is that this phrase isn't a common one at all. This English phrase, you of little faith, really, it's just one Greek word, oligapistas, and only appears five places in the Bible, four of them in Matthew, one in Luke. That's it. We don't see this word anywhere else in the Bible, and we haven't found it in any other ancient Greek text. So while we know roughly what it means literally by looking at the two root words that make it up, we don't know a lot about how this phrase might have been understood or received by the earliest readers. The word aligapistas is based on two root words, aligas, meaning uncertain or few in number or puny, and pistis, meaning faith. So we're pretty sure this means one with uncertain faith or puny faith which seems to align with Jesus' question for Peter, why did you doubt? And that word doubt means to waver, to hesitate. So Jesus is saying, Peter, you were uncertain. Why? What made your faith waver? What made you hesitate? Again, we can read this as Jesus just shaming Peter for messing up. But first of all, Peter is the only one of the disciples who had enough faith to get out of the boat in the first place. And secondly, Jesus just doesn't tend to shame people who ask him for help. It sounds to me like Jesus is asking Peter to reflect on what happened. Jesus knows that just like a toddler learning to walk, Peter is taking some new steps in his faith journey. He's learning. So Jesus wants Peter to think about what happened, why he fell. And Matthew shows us here is that Peter is struggling with this tension between faith and doubt. Peter was looking around at what he could see. The first thing he saw was that Jesus was walking on water. And so he felt confident to say, hey, if Jesus says I can, I can walk on water too. 
But then he noticed a few more things. He noticed he was standing on water where people normally fall through. He noticed the wind was pretty strong and the waves were getting pretty high. Matthew seems to be saying that it was Peter's selective attention to only some of what was true that caused him to fall. Peter lost focus on the whole picture. See, the whole picture was, yes, this is water, something people don't normally walk on. Yes, the waves are high because the wind is strong. And Jesus is Lord of the waves. Jesus has calmed a storm before. Jesus is God over the sea. So if Jesus says I can walk on water, then I can walk on this water. Jesus wants Peter to notice what happened, to notice why he wavered. And in the same way, Matthew invites us to engage in some introspection. When we have moments like Peter, where we seem to be going along fine, and then suddenly we're crashing and burning in doubt, what's going on? When you have a moment where doubt is overwhelming you, what is happening? Is it possible you need to think about where your attention is focused? Like Peter, are you suddenly caught up in just how big the waves are? Are you taking stock of maybe only one part of the picture and it is freaking you out? This is really big. I don't know how we're going to make it financially through this season. This diagnosis is bad news. This job situation is really hard. My marriage is in a really bad place. My child is really struggling. This is too much for me. When we are overcome with fear and doubt, when we start to sink, Matthew invites us to stay, take a step back and notice what's going on. Notice what we're focusing on. What part of the picture are you fixating on? Take some time to answer Jesus' question. You of uncertain faith, why are you doubting? See, Jesus wanted Peter to notice what happened and why he fell. Not just so he could learn something about that particular situation. Jesus also wanted Peter to pay attention to what happened when he doubted so that in the future, he might not doubt. So that in the future, his little faith would turn into a little more faith. Right after he lifted Peter out of the water and asked him to think about why he doubted, the two of them climbed into the boat. And verses 32 and 33 tell us what happened next. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What's happening here? Why did these terrified disciples suddenly decide to hold a worship service? And why is this the first place in Matthew where the disciples call Jesus the Son of God? Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 8, Jesus had calmed a storm, and their response then was a little different. In Matthew 8, 27, it says the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So in the five intervening chapters, the disciples have been seeing more and more of who Jesus is, more and more of how powerful he is, so much so that by the time they reach this demonstration of his power in chapter 14, they're ready to declare that he is not just another man. He must be the Son of God. 
And there's a reason that this experience, this demonstration of his power is what caused them to finally conclude that Jesus must be God. As we said earlier, at that time, the sea was seen as a symbol for chaos and evil. And in the Old Testament, it is only God who can control the sea. Only God who contains the chaos of the ocean. Job says this about God. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Only God treads on the waves. And here comes Jesus walking on the wild sea. This walking on water is a spectacular display of his power as God. It shows that God has power over creation. And Jesus is God. That Jesus is greater than just a human. He does what the Bible says only God does. And without even a word here, the wind dies down. As if in deference to its creator. This is a clear statement of Jesus' identity. Jesus is God. And here at this point in their journey with Jesus, the disciples recognize that instantly. Truly you are the son of God. So what does this mean for Matthew's readers? Why is this important to our conversation about this tension between faith and doubt? Well, Matthew wants us to know that it is only in remembering who Jesus is that we can overcome our doubt. It's only in remembering who Jesus is that we can overcome our doubt. Peter's first reaction was of faith. Once he saw that it was Jesus on the water, he knew he could walk with Jesus on the water. It was only when he took his eyes off the power of Jesus that Peter was afraid of the power of the waves. And so it is with us. Our fear and doubt happen when we forget who it is coming alongside us, saying to us, take courage, it's me, I'm here, don't be afraid. Matthew is telling his first century readers who are tossed by storms of persecution and fear and doubt, remember who your Savior is. And he's telling us today when we are tossed by storms of fear and doubt, remember who your Savior is. Now, to be clear, Matthew is not saying we should just live in denial. The moral of the story is not, you know, hard things in life aren't so bad if you just don't think about them. No, Matthew is clear in his gospel that life is hard. Pain in this world is unavoidable. Injustice will happen. Our hearts will, will break. We will face what is impossible for us. Losing your job would be very hard. Terminal diagnoses are devastating. Losing a child is excruciating. Matthew is not telling us to just use positive thinking and look for the silver lining. No. Matthew is telling us that in the, when we face the worst things of life, we can have courage no matter what because our Savior is stronger. Matthew is saying, yes, the waves are big, but the power of Jesus is bigger. Matthew is inviting us to declare with confidence the words of the psalmist. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Harbor, God is on our side. God is watching out for us. Are you afraid of the storm? 
Well, the God who made the sea is with you. That's why Daniel wasn't afraid of the lions. He knew the God who made the lions. Cancer is scary. But you know that God who knit your body together in your mother's womb, and he knows everything about you. Are you stressed about money? You worship the God to whom all things belong, and his word promises he will take care of you. Are you afraid you aren't up to the task in front of you? You have been filled with the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are a child of God. You worship the God who made the entire universe out of nothing, parted the Red Sea, rescued Israel from invading armies, healed the sick, invited in outsiders, is everywhere, knows everything, and can do anything. Look at the whole picture. Remember who it is that comes near and says, don't be afraid, I'm here. Look at the whole picture. So in our doubt, we are invited to step back and look not only at the storm, but at the God who is more powerful than the storm. And when we do this, our reaction will very often be the response of the disciples here. Worship. Worship. Worship is a reaction to the truth of who God is. Sometimes it's involuntary. We see what God has done and worship just pours out. Other times, worship is an intentional choice. We worship even if we don't feel like it because we know God is worthy of it. Worship is simply our response to who God is and what he does. Our response to who God is and what God does. That's what was happening in the boat. The disciples saw clearly who Jesus is. They saw what he did. He walked on water. He calmed the wind. And in seeing what he did, they understood who he was, the son of God. And that's what happens when we spend time getting to know God. That's why we read the Bible, so we can understand more about who God is, understand more about how he loves us, how he rescues us, how he has plans to restore everything that's broken in our world. That's, that's why I love to read the Gospels. I love to learn more about who Jesus is. And as I see more and more about how powerful and compassionate and loving he is, the more and more my heart wants to worship him, to tell him thank you, to set my mind on who he is. The word for worship in the New Testament is the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo is a word picture. It means to bow and kiss, like bowing low before an authority figure and kissing their hand or the hem of their robe. Proskuneo means to express an attitude or gesture, one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. That's what we're doing when we worship. We are expressing our dependency on God. We're demonstrating that without him, we're lost. We're expressing that because he is God and we are not, we want to submit to him and his plans for the world. When we worship, we're acknowledging the whole picture. We see the storm and we see the God who is greater than the storm. We know that the storm is strong, 
but that God is greater than the storm. We know that we cannot overcome the storm, but he can. When we read the story of the disciples in the gospel, they walk this spiral of faith, doubt, worship, faith, doubt, worship. And sometimes they believe and do amazing things. Sometimes they're afraid and doubting. And again, when they realize who Jesus is, how powerful he is, they go back to worship and belief again. The only other place in the entire Bible where this word for doubt that's found here, distazzo, is used is also in the book of Matthew. It's in Matthew 28 after the resurrection. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even here, the disciples who had been through so much with Jesus are still working out this tension of faith and doubt. They worship and they doubt. And Jesus doesn't even ask them about why they doubt here. He doesn't even seem to acknowledge it. Instead, he gives them an assignment. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus saying, I am God. (laughs) Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's as if Jesus was telling them that the best thing they can do when they doubt is to rehearse who Jesus is and what he's done. We said last Sunday that we need to tell other people about Jesus to grow in our own faith. Our faith grows when we spend time with Jesus and when we spend time remembering who he is and what he's done. We will probably not get to a place in our faith where we never doubt. It doesn't seem likely this side of eternity. But Matthew wants us to know that when we struggle with this tension between faith and doubt, the best thing we can do is to remember who's with us. Remember who Jesus is. Rehearse what we've seen him do before. Read stories in the Bible that tell us about his power and his love. And choose to worship, even if we're still doubting. This morning, that's the invitation for us. That's the big idea. Matthew, his big idea here is when we doubt, Jesus invites us with our little faith to worship the all-powerful God. Let's pray. God, you are big and strong and powerful. You see the whole picture that we don't always see. You know that we are limited in our human nature. We're limited. We can't see you physically or touch you or hear you physically. And so sometimes it is so easy to doubt who you are and what you're up to. But will you help us, even in our moments of doubt, to come to you honestly, to cry out for your help, help us remember who you are, Remind us of what you've done, where you've shown yourself faithful before, so that even with our little faith, we will come to you and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.